Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is a Force Center podcast feed. I'm Chief Hine, Ken Napsoff. And I am Joseph uh, Dewey <laughs> Scripture. <laughs> and I'm Jennifer Landa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, everybody. Hello. We are here for a big episode. You could almost call this an Andor Report bonus, but it's made show here. It's our Andor Overview. The show, of course, the first season of Andor is in the rearview mirror. Sadly, a lot of fun week to week to dive into this show, discuss it, to celebrate it, to debate things around it. A lot that went on these last, uh, well, 10 weeks 
Uh, we're going to look back. And one of the reasons we're going to do this, Jennifer Land is here. And, uh, because of recording schedules, uh, Jennifer is not able to join us for the end of report. So we want to hear her thoughts and get her figures, uh, her, her, her figures, her facts and figures. Her <laughs> so, I so got course, some action figures. A lot of you, hopefully, uh, you should be watching Jennifer's YouTube channel and uh, TikTok videos where she does share a lot of these thoughts here. Before we get into all that, one reminds you today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. A little bit later, we have our Force Center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Uh, one other thing before I bring in uh, the other wonderful voices here, uh, we have a uh, current ask. It's a Force Center ask. Hashtag Force Center ask. We are really uh, trying to build our YouTube YouTube channel presence. It's been there for a little bit, but now we actually got uh, videos specific to the channel. We got some uh, series we're going to launch over there, uh, as well as the podcast rebroadcasts over there. So we are asking for uh, your help in that. And uh, we are currently trying to build towards a modest 6,500 subscribers. We picked up about 70 in the last few days since we started asking all of you directly. Even if you don't spend a lot of time on YouTube, just head on over there. Give the channel a sub. Force Center on YouTube. So that's enough of my blather and Joseph Jennifer. Hello, friends. Welcome. We are happy to be here. At least I don't know why I decided to speak for Jennifer. I'm happy to be here. Jennifer, are you happy to be here? I am elated to be here and to finally <laughs> be able to talk and or with you too. Oh my goodness. Every week I've I've just talked into uh, my camera, but I'm so hmm. happy we finally are having a moment to chat. Yeah, your TikToks have been great, and I always love to see what you pick out to to cover, you know, uh, in, in different Star Wars shows. And sometimes it's the big idea, sometimes it's a, a parenting perspective, sometimes it's the weirdo aliens in the background. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love to see uh, what your love of Star Wars brings you. But as we look at the big picture of Andor Season 1, Jennifer, I want to start with you. The, the most important question, a thing that Ken and I have been tracking every episode of our Andor report did you have a favorite Luthan line or noise? <laughs> His noise. He does have a gruff very similar to uh, Uncle Owen. <laughs> I would love to see the two of them in a room. <laughs> a little grumble off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Luthan had so many memorable lines and speeches. But I think my favorite line is his speech to Lonnie. It was in episode 10 where he says, I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. The word condemned is so specific. And it just, it was shocking to me, actually, because it means being sentenced to a punishment, right? It's a particular punishment. This is a totally different perspective than we are used to hearing from our rebel leaders. But it's very authentic to this character. It's why I love this character, because he, Luthen is unlike any character I feel that we've seen in Star Wars. I always have to, have to be careful <laughs> whenever I say that because I'm like, well, actually, you know, in the comics, blah, blah, blah. But uh, at least in live action, in live action, um, just what a what a speech that was. Every every line was gold. Yeah, we talked about that speech so much. We loved it. I'm very curious about your your take on it. Did you find yourself agreeing with Luthen or did you find yourself really interested in his perspective that is a little bit different from the other rebel leaders who have tried to kind of, you know, make it important to keep their souls while fighting uh, the, the Empire. And he's kind of saying to Lonnie, uh, my soul is gone. I'm going to make all sorts of moral compromises because I believe I have to. How did you feel about that? Did you feel? Yeah. How did you feel about that? <laughs> I felt actually really I felt really sad for him. Uh, I, I really 
I felt, you know, we were, I always gravitated towards the triumphant and, you know, the good people win the original trilogy and, hey, let's high five and let's drink <laughs> a beer, right? But but this moment was where I was like, oh, this this is actually very real. It's almost a little bit too real <laughs> because it is such a, a sad, a sad fate, but it is just one perspective and it's how he sees things. And I'm hoping that maybe in season two, his perspective might change. Maybe he will see a, a beautiful sunrise or sunset or something. He'll get a glimmer <laughs> of hope in his heart of darkness. Um, but what what a perspective, right? To say that you have to meet the enemy with evil, basically. Mm-hmm. Ooh, mm-hmm. that is that is some oof, exciting storytelling. Yeah, yeah, and that declaration makes it really interesting when he, you know, then the next episode even says this all. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I agree with my own speech. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, so that that is a great start for a Luthan line and noise. Uh, Want to go around and in uh, now that season one is complete, here our overall reaction to it. What was different than our expectations, Jennifer? I want to start with you. What what was your overall reaction to the entire season, and, and was it different than what you were expecting? It was totally different than what I was expecting. It blew me away. I did not realize the caliber of writing, the the outstanding acting from literally every single person in this show. I mean, the background people, right? Like, sometimes the background actors, you're like, oh, God, they're really taking me out of this scene because they clearly do not look like that. They look, you know, they're not in the moment, as we say. Mm-hmm. no. Everyone was phenomenal. The production design, the scope of it with the set design and the, the city of Ferrix. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I loved that it was also kind of a, there was a lot of scathing commentary, uh, very outright. Um, there, there was no like real dancing around it. It was like this. We are anti-fascism and we are going to comment on it. It just felt very, very timely. Um, and it was something really new and I and I wasn't sure about Tony Gilroy not being a Star Wars fan you know he had said a lot of not negative things about Star Wars and basically I don't I don't care for Star Wars that's pretty much what he said um but I learned that that's okay he's gonna bring a fresh perspective Mm -hmm. yeah and then balanced by clearly having a lot of uh you know influence from from at least a lore advisor in the credits uh uh Pablo Hidalgo, right? Uh, yes. Like some of those interviews with Gilroy was like, I don't know, they just filled up uh, Luthen's shop with stuff, and turns out it's real interesting. Cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gives it a great balance. Ken, uh, for you, now that season one is complete, what is your overall reaction and what was different than what you expected? Yeah, I'm really thankful for it. I'm really thankful for this show. To, to Jennifer's big point there, one of her big points of, of the show, just saying, hey, Here's some thoughts that are pretty clear, uh, and we're going to analyze that a little bit more about how they did that and maybe the cause and effect of that, but but I, I really am thankful for that. Now, overall, it's everything I knew it would be about, he said smugly, and it was delivering a way that I absolutely was surprised by, he said, because he was naive and ignorant. Uh, <laughs> this this uh, The presentation, the way, the style, the scenes, the way it was put together right from the beginning, um, it wasn't just the, the, I, I make fun of the dark and gritty thing, but it was dark and gritty at times. Let's let's be clear. But sometimes those are those are buzzwords on the back of a VHS box. Uh, but the way they delivered it, the way they broke it down, the way the acting and 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 the, and the writing, all those things have been justifiably praised. I'm right there with that. Uh, every week, I was looking forward to now, now. Now some weeks I was like I had to take that deep breath and go, all right, 
this is going to be a little somber. <laughs> Let's get through it. Um, but I think sometimes that's okay. And in these times, oh, capital T, uh, capital T, these times, I think we needed to have something that was just literally pointing at the text and going, this is what Star Wars is about. I, I do believe uh, uh, Gilroy, uh, you know, brought in a lot of different perspectives. We're going to discuss that more. I have some complicated uh, relationship with some of that stuff. But this is also the guy who wrote The Cutting Edge, one of my favorite rom-coms from the 90s. I do love his work, and I do uh, respect what he brought to it. And I think it was I think it was needed. I think it was just, hey, here's a bunch of Star Wars themes that have been present since day one in 1977. They're there. They've always been there. But here they are in a way you can't ignore. And you've got to process that. And I was very, at the end of the day, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, I, I think that's a great perspective. I think for me, I went on a journey before the season actually came out of shifting expectations. When Andor was announced, I was all about like, hey, this could be like the Americans in Star Wars. And then it was announced that Stephen Schiff, uh, one of the writers of the Americans uh, television show, was going to be doing it. And I was all invested in spy thriller. Mm. What are the compromises uh, that Andor has to make that he sort of refers to? in Rogue One and how does he uh, keep his soul intact or doesn't he and all that. And, and it feels to me like then when, when Gilroy came in and some of his comments and then the, the trailers made it clear like, yep, there are going to be elements of spy thriller, but we're starting, starting with the story of the, the hero Cassian answering the call and actually much more the season of refusing the call. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I was a little concerned about that to be perfectly honest, because there can be, even though that's an incredibly important story, there can be a sort of slowness to, we know the hero is going to answer the call, so how long do we want to spend with them refusing it? And I think what made this season really compelling to me is exactly what you're both saying, is in Cassian's journey to try to refuse the call to become uh, the hero that will have spy thriller adventures, mm -hmm. um, it, it it was about the the battle between tyranny and freedom at the heart of all of Star Wars that's there and almost every star wars anything uh, but i think the way they told this story was really important because it uh showed practical examples in concrete definitions of tyranny and freedom right, right. Mm -hmm. we have endless uh storytelling that throws those ideas around with the assumption that we all have our own is a viewer definitions mm -hmm. that we bring to them you know and mm -hmm. this was showing, like, here is what tyranny actually feels like by those who do it. Here is what is actually lost. Here is functionally how it's done. Mm -hmm. uh, even with, with Nemec getting in, in, in Marva and in, in Luthan and different, different speeches that get to, like, let's define these ideologies. Let's show how people come to them. And I think that was really, really valuable and interesting. And then my other big picture reaction is just, the power of uh, something fresh in Star Wars. I, I love Mando, Boba Fett, Obi-Wan. I think they're uh, deep and important and fun and all these things. But I think it is undeniable that in this moment right now, uh, people are craving uh, new in Star Wars. But in particular, what I think Andor delivered is almost zero baggage going in to sit down and watch it, right? Mm -hmm. um, with so few leg legacy characters, uh, I think casual Star Wars fans sitting down to watch Andor had no, uh, did I need to do homework? Am I missing something? Are there three episodes of Rebels and two episodes of Clone Wars I need to watch to fully invest? And then for us uh, making this podcast and probably most people listening to it, the very invested Star Wars fans, I don't think we were as distracted by 
timelines, connections, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you had Cassian's, oh, it turns out he's from Canari, not Fest, but here's a little thing acknowledging it. And mm -hmm. how, uh, what is Mothma's exact relationship with building the, re the rebellion versus Luthan? There were little things along the way, but I think there was such a power in Andor of just like, you can just check all baggage at the door. You don't need any of it and come on in. And I think that's a part of the reason that it landed so well with Star Wars fans and, and more casual Star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially because, you know, the lead character, Cassian, uh, uh, prompted so many calls of, we don't need this. <laughs> we don't need this guy. Whether he, hey, we know he dies or that guy, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I, I think if you had that thought, maybe it's gone. Also, this was, uh, I mean, I've even seen articles about it today when I was putting notes together of uh, this season wasn't just about Andor, it was about the rebellion. Well, yeah, that's why I think what it was always going to be about. But but uh, hearing you talk about Mothma, Joseph, we're going to bring that up uh, and go mm -hmm. into more detail later. But I think that was one of the big differences for me. I love this character, right? Love, ah, man, I tell all of you, go read the Return of the Jedi novelization. It's got Mothma stuff in it. You'll I've been saying that for years. But I, I thought this show was going to be like her in the Senate chambers trying to pass bills while also slipping a $100 credit to the rebellion. Like, I thought it was going to be something different, right? <laughs> right. Around every corner was an imperial spy. And that was true. Very true. Not even around the corner, in her car. But the way they broke it down and went to a, a, a smaller, more intimate level, we're going to be talking about that again and again and again. Not just this episode, but I think beyond. That's one of the important things about the show. And that's why it was like everything I, everything I expected. And in a way, I just had no idea. And that's part of the fun. Like you said, new in Star Wars, there's a lot of new things this show did. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think that's probably the headline for the first chunk of our podcast. We all loved Andor. <laughs> uh, but there is a sort of a... <laughs> Can we put a spotlight on that? We all loved Andor. All we right. all loved Andor. Uh, multiple alien thumbs way up. Um, <laughs> but we do want to talk about sort of an emotional elephant in the room, uh, certainly for, for Ken and myself and, and Jennifer. We're really interested to get your take on this. So we love the show. Uh, some of the discourse, well, most of the discourse uh, about the show was positive toward Andor, glowing toward Andor, which we all agree with. Uh, but some of the discourse uh, was positive towards Andor by actively insulting other Star Wars stories in comparison. And we want to be very clear to separate. We're not talking about the show Andor. We're not talking about people who just say, I love Andor. This is my favorite Star Wars show. Great. We are talking very specifically about the discourse that says Andor is great and all these other Star Wars shows are garbage or all these other elements of Star Wars that are not as highlighted in Andor are garbage. Finally, the kitty stuff is gone. Andor is good. We're talking only <laughs> about the, about those takes. It, it, is that uh, accurate to you, Ken? Uh, so, you know, in, in, in Book of Boba Fett, where Black Crescenton is sitting in Garza Whip's sanctuary, drunk, staring at Trandoshan. So that's me. That's me right now. Not looking at you. Not looking at anyone. Just looking at the conversation. Just um, looking at the, the Trandoshan with the, the hot take that is positive towards Andor, but dismissive to many other elements of Star Wars. So yeah. I, I think I, Ken and I are, we're like Star Wars beasts on leashes. We're, we're, we're really working through a lot on this. So I want to contain us, Jennifer, yeah. and ask yeah. your feelings about this. Did it, did it affect you to see those takes that we, you were like the first half, you were like, yes, Andor is one of the greatest things ever made. And then the second half was like, no, you lost me when you just said, you know, finally the BS with the Ewoks is gone. Uh, how did you feel about that element of discourse, Jen? I was surprised because, well, I was surprised initially that 
everyone loved the show, right? Because the critics mm-hmm. loved it, which is not always the case, and the fans loved it, which is not always the case. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> we are moving in a positive. Whoa, okay. And like, honestly, it took me, a, yeah, it took me aback because I was like, I was celebrating it, and then I noticed that people were throwing rocks at the other Star Wars, uh, you know, stories. And to me, I'm like, did we did we just forget what we just got? We just got Kenobi. We we have Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett. And I, I would also suggest, I just watched Disney Gallery, Book of Boba Fett last night. It is so great. I know that not everyone likes that show, but I appreciate it. I mean, I loved it, but I appreciate it on just like what they did with technology and bringing these characters back and the excitement between John Favreau, Dave Filoni and Robert Rodriguez and all of the, you know, ILM people. It is, there's so many great things to love with Star Wars. And part of the reason why Andor, I think, has done so well is because we did get a Mandalorian and a book of Boba Fett. We've had such a variety of shows that now people are ready for something different. And that's what Andor brought, but we Mm -hmm. don't have to go and slight everything else in order to say that this is good. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was just very, very surprising to me to see that, that take that now suddenly everyone loved Mandalorian. I thought, and now all of a sudden everyone's saying no, (laughs) like why, what is going on? Yeah. And were you able to just sort of separate that and say, that's the discourse, that's a discussion about how we talk about Star Wars and keep it free uh, from your actual watching of Andor? Were you able to separate the show from the discussion of the show? I did. I stopped. I really basically just stopped looking on Twitter as a way to kind of shield shield myself from that because I just didn't want I didn't want to hear it. And I also mm-hmm. made sure that when I talked about the show, that I was not and intentionally slighting previous Star Wars shows. Because I, I made the mistake last time when Kenobi came out, and I was so blown away with Kenobi and the acting in that show, and I was like, this is the best TV show, period. Which is true. I still think my my opinion on that stands. But suddenly everyone's like, yeah, Book of Boba Fett sucks. And I'm like, wait, no, no, that's not, that's not what I meant. <laughs> right? So we have to be careful with how we phrase these things because they suddenly get taken out of context and, and we're in that hot take world where people for whatever reason, want to put something down in order to lift something up. I don't know what that is. Yeah. And like, I have no problem with uh, thoughtful dives. If people were yeah. like, here is what I, here, here's, here are story structure issues I have with this. You know, here is, you know, a, a comparison about the, the motivations of the characters made clear so I can invest. Like those, are, those kind of takes and comparisons are not what I'm thinking about or talking about. It's the sort of drive by, uh, making everything into a competition uh, takes that that hurt my soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ken, I mm. uh, uh, would you like to be uh, let off your leash first, or should I <laughs> release myself on my leash first? I, uh, I give you dealer's choice. I'll tell you what, I'll I'll, uh, I'll be the first to the breach with my flaming sword, like uh, um, Thoros Amir uh, in in uh, in the grace. Okay, I'm gonna stop. All right, uh, here's the thing. <laughs> Uh, first of all, yeah, it, it, this the, the, it started out the, the use of Andor to attack other shows, like Jen mentioned. I, look, that, I, unfortunately, that happens all the time. I, I don't consider myself part of Star Wars Twitter. I see most of it through the Force Center account, my personal account. I've said before, for own for own mental health reasons, almost everything related to Star Wars is is blocked or muted. I I, I don't hear it. I, I just uh, 
it, it, Star Wars Twitter is just a circle. It, it, it reminds me of uh, the great poet Nelly Furtado in, year, in 2000 had a song called Hey Man. And it, it, there's a line in it, we are part of a circle, it's like a Mobius strip, and it goes round and round until it loses a link. I, I, I just don't want to be any part of that. The problem was it found me personally. This show has started more arguments with friends of mine off air that have nothing to do with podcasts. Uh, I was at a film event where I spent two days with young filmmakers and veteran filmmakers up in my hometown. That was, I was just surrounded by it because I was selling, I was hawking a Star Wars book like that salesman going to Ferrex and, oh, hey, Star Wars book, Andor, boom. And, and, and it was, I'll start, I'll start, <laughs> I threatened, I threatened to quote him. So Brian Ward gave me permission. Brian Ward texted me one day and said, Andor was for Star Wars fans embarrassed about being Star Wars fans. That is a very general statement, of course. Again, like just to sit up top. If you're like, hey, this is the show that spoke to me the most. That's the right answer. That's, mm-hmm. that's the right answer. Uh, just like if, if Kenobi spoke to you the most, that's the right answer. We're not taking that away from you. Um, but Brian's point that I agree with, it, it, it really uh, gives you an insight to where my mind is, is Boss Nass and Dexter Jester, two of my favorite characters, because I think they're important to the Star Wars story. I'm not embarrassed about that. I think a lot of Star Wars fans I know and I and I hang with, they are embarrassed by that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It is still viewed as the kitty stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that was where it started to slide down the hill. Where if you come at me and say, hey, Andor's, Andor's my favorite, or Andor, you want to say a strong statement, Andor's the best. I'm going to go, okay, great, great. But there's so many other things. I love Danny Trejo's speech, Quill's lessons, Garcef Whip's thought on change, as she's saying to Blacker Satin after he rips an arm off, Kenobi's journey, Bale, Brea, and Lille, and the generational change in Star Wars. Those hit as powerfully for me as, as almost anything in Andor, and a lot of things in Andor hit very strong. Now, that's for me. So, number one, I don't want you to come take that away from me. But what the problem, why I'm so angry, why I'm Chrysanthemum, is there's this almost willful ignorance as if Star Wars didn't matter before this, mm-hmm. as if there were no powerful lessons. And we've been fighting that fight on the prequel side for years. Again, if the conversation is about how it looked, uh, the production design, how it was shot, example for me, seven, eight, nine, I don't like how they look as much as Rogue One, Solo, and even Empire Strikes Back, which set the tone for how Star Wars is to be shot. That's the one that changed the game. We always go to New Hope, but how Peter, uh, what's it, Peter Shishetti, uh, I can't even remember his name, out of trivia questions these days. Um, how he shot Empire Strikes Back is how Star Wars kind of looks going forward. And seven, eight, nine, eight is beautiful. Eight has beautiful art pieces. I like how those look. Rogue One, Solo better than seven, eight, nine. If that's the conversation you want to have, dialogue differences, your personal preferences, yes, I call Andor the best. I wish Kenobi looked more like this. I struggle with some of the perceived constraints of stagecraft. I've been open with that. I've openly struggled with some of the acting styles, the dialogue of Mando and Book of Boba Fett. That's on the record. There's genuine, some of the extras in those shows are, are horrendous. <laughs> I, I, I wish Kenobi had a different budget and wasn't shot during the height of a pandemic. Hmm. And Andor was probably more uh, what I wanted out of those shows in terms of presentation. But to come at me and say all other things had no meaning before, uh, that they're fluff, they're can- someone, one, one friend described Book of Boba Fett and Kenobi as candy. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I was like, y- 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 you can't, you can't, you're missing it. And that's where I get angry. You can say this is the best, but then you cannot go back and tell me other things don't have meaning. They don't have art. Art is communication. Star Wars is... Tony Gilroy brought no new themes to Star Wars. He brought nothing new in terms of themes. He just took what was there and presented it in a different fashion. Mm-hmm. And Jar Jar telling Padme that the Gungans are proud warriors who'd be willing to fight and die for their freedom, the freedom of people that willfully segregated the two societies is just as powerful to me 
as the big beats in Andor because it's all part of that Star Wars saga. But I understand the difference in how those look. I understand how you said people going to die is different than I'm condemned to die and to condemn to use the weapons of my enemy to destroy them. I, I understand the vibe is very different, but I look at them as the same because of what they mean and what is being communicated. That's why I'm here. And then I'm also protective of entry points and, 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 and generational viewpoints into Star Wars. If forces of destiny is how you got into Star Wars, uh, then I want to protect that and protect what that meant for you at that age. And I'm, I, I just think a lot of that, and the conversation around Andor, just to go to Brian's comment here, it, it, you were embarrassed about Ewoks, you were embarrassed about something, and you felt you could like it because all the silly stuff was gone. And which, by the way, P, uh, Dewey and Freedy are here to tell you that's not true. <laughs> Scob knows that. Uh, and that's where, I, <laughs> that's where I go. And you can tell I have a lot of passion for because I have been in more arguments off air with friends than any other Star Wars property, and I'm still trying to analyze why. Yeah, well, I, I think you're doing a, a great job of of breaking apart the different reactions uh, to it. There there are different layers to it, and and I think some for me sometimes the uh, different opinions or the detailed analysis of why this element of Andor is you know better received than this element of Boba Fett or Kenobi or Mando. You're breaking it down into things like you know the performance style, the writing mm -hmm. style, the structure, the time it was shot, the technology. And I I have no problem if people want to have a little bit more of a nuanced conversation about those things. Mm -hmm. Um but I think what you're saying really well Ken with like the the uh the Jar Jar Taluthan <laughs> what's at stake is it is it similar in a different package to me that's the heart of it and as i let myself off the leash i'm literally starting a timer to try to contain myself I've very rarely done this on four center i should maybe do it every time but uh, again I, I just can't can't uh clarify caveat enough i am not talking about anybody who just says andor is my favorite i enjoyed it the most great no problem uh, I am talking about people and the take that is specifically uh, th this Star Wars is good. I had one uh, friend of a friend on social media literally type uh, what Star Wars needed was to take all the Star Wars out of it. And finally, it's good. Oh, uh, had another thing that said Star Wars is finally free of laser swords and mysticism and robots. And basically now it's good. Right. And I think the heart of all of these things, what they boil up to in, in react in me is a treatment of the elements of Star Wars that are genre, that are mm -hmm. fantasy, uh, science fiction, horror, uh, weird comedy, all these different things. The treatment of genre is inherently less than. Mm -hmm. It is ripping Star Wars back to uh, a very serious film that tells you it's a serious film about relationships is of course up for an academy award for best drama uh but something with aliens that maybe makes the same point is of course less than we all know this right um it it's it's that heart that i'm reacting to uh of of the element of discourse and i have to be honest that it's that it's very it's very personal to me uh, because I feel like it has affected me in my life when people look down at specific genres as less than. It's not about taste. It's not about preference. Hey, if you like murder mysteries, you know, but you don't like things with robots, great. That's a personal taste. But if you feel murder mysteries 
are better art and anything with a robot is less than they were getting into something that's real world and kind of matters because there is a, a level of a, a elitism and there's mm-hmm. a level of class um and it, and it and it's plagued me in my personal life you know i i grew up in an era where i was literally mocked and sometimes physically assaulted for mm-hmm. liking science fiction and fantasy we make the nerd jokes and the shoved into the locker but like i've i've been punched for liking doctor who mm-hmm. because it is less than and therefore i am less than uh, my, my, for the most part, my, my chosen way to express myself as an, as an artist is to tell any story I want, but to tell it in the language of comedy. And, uh, at a, one experience that always jumps out to me is I, at a fringe festival, I had the literal number one best selling show in the festival. And I still had someone come up to me and say, thinking it was a compliment. It seemed like you had some real things to say. Have you ever thought about writing a, a show without all the distracting comedy? Because it's too bad you feel like you have to put that in there. <laughs> comedy is less than. Therefore, mm-hmm. I am less than. Uh, so that's kind of some, some of the, the personal stuff for me, why I react so viscerally. Uh, but then trying to take a bigger picture, you know, y- you can do deep dives in the long history of genre being one of the only places that is safe for, for allegory for emotional representation for people who, who feel othered by society in, in many ways. You know, look at the, the breakthroughs. They, they don't seem like much now, but the breakthrough of Star Trek in the 60s for some amount of representation. Um, mm-hmm. Go on the internet and just Google uh, horror and queer and, and see uh, what you find, how much genre has helped people. Uh, Jennifer, I always think about you telling us one of the reasons that you gravitated toward, toward Return of the Jedi and Jabba is just seeing lots of beings who are different, mm-hmm. right? And, and get to to live and thrive and be on screen and and so for me it, it is personal it's it's my taste it's my life experience but also in a larger sense the second anyone starts just insulting genre is inherently less than uh this just um r- <laughs> this righteous anger fills <laughs> in me um and, and that is why it's hard for me uh i i was really moved uh, on multiple levels by Clem's flashback speech to Andor about the the machinery. Uh, in, in particular, uh, oh, Clem is saying, you know, uh, people don't look down, uh, and when they do look down, they don't look past the rust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, to be very clear, laser swords and robots and Wookiees, they aren't rust. They're just as valuable. But I think, Ken, that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. People, people look down, and they see Jar Jar, they see rust, they see kitty garbage. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to look past it and see, what is Jar Jar about? What is Jar Jar saying? Mm-hmm. So that, that I, I, I got such joy from Clem's uh, uh, comment there because I was like, that's what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody is saying, oh, thank you. Uh, Star Wars has made it so I don't have to look at the rust anymore. So yeah. uh, I'm going to stop myself. I crossed the five-minute mark, so I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, well, well, and I want to switch you, Jennifer, because I think you're key to this perspective too. But it's 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 part of it does have real world implications, especially where where we are. A lot of things Andor is about, with real world stuff, is fueled by this kind of thing. Uh, of of I always go to like Fantastic Four. Uh, what a silly little comic book about civil rights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and all that stuff for the mutants and all that the X Men, I should say, X-Men, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, more specifically, uh, all that stuff. Uh, was looked down upon. You still find it. You still find it. We we always joke about our generation. I, yeah, I went with you too, Joseph. As one kid, I, I could, Joe, I could see your face coming up behind me when I had my Return of the Jedi shirt on to choke me out. 
because I was a dumb nerd, right? And I'm glad that's gotten better. And nerd means different. Uh, are you nerd or geek? It means a lot different versus it was a, every day was I got to hide this. I got to hide this part of me because it's speaking to me and I'm, I'm told I, it shouldn't. And how does that translate to conversations when, you, when you're looking at X-Men and you're not getting that it's a it comes a, 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 out in the, in the 60s and it's about civil rights. And that's the only way you could get the story out. Star Trek's a great example, too. Uh, that stuff is still powerful. That stuff is still going on. And it doesn't mean you have to love Book of Boba Fett. I, I am not here for you to, 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 to believe my words and suddenly Book of Boba Fett's your, your favorite show. It's not going to happen. Uh, but that's why I always go to that Danny Trejo speech because it is about this important thing of change. It's about this important emotional message. And for you to just simply toss it out and pat me on the head and call me a shell mm-hmm. and call me someone who's just like, ah, but you're just real positive about Star Wars. F you, man. Scob off. <laughs> you because yeah. you're, you're missing the point of these stories and you got this disruptor gilroy comes along you best i get it i bet i bet he's a great dude he's a talented dude but every interview was about this i removed the silly stuff so you can finally enjoy this and that's where i took offense and that's where i i feel like we're standing in the, in the sanctuary but anyways yeah. jen you have a valuable perspective on this growing up a little bit different than angels you know and the, the thing is now i'm getting angry because <laughs> it, it makes me angry because how did we all get involved with Star Wars? A lot of Star Wars fans got involved because we were kids. We got into it through these stories that were presenting these big themes in a way that we could understand that also adults enjoyed as well. And now I can't sit down with my seven-year-old and have her watch Andor, but I want her to love Star Wars as much as I do because of the wonderful themes that they present, the wonderful morality tales, the hero's journey. How can I do that? Guess what? It's through Caravan of Courage, right? (laughs) We can all laugh at it because it is quite a silly film. She loved it. She saw kids being independent, rescuing their parents, Ewoks, you know, she's learning a little about about the Ewok lore. Like it was wonderful. And it was a chance for me to be able to bond with her because for me, that is what Star Wars is about. It is a communal experience. And so yes, Andor is wonderful. But do I want everything in Star Wars to be like Andor? No, I would be tired of it, right? That's why we, we've mm-hmm. talked about having a Star Wars comedy or a Star Wars horror film. We love the way, we love these Star Wars characters. We love this world. I want to see different storytellers present their version of it. It's why I love The Last Jedi because it was very much a Ryan Johnson you know, thing, uh, very much a Ryan Johnson story. I, I you know, the obviously Force Awakens and and uh, Rise of Skywalker is very J.J. Abrams, and yeah, it's not for everyone. But I trust me, we don't we don't want to have everything be so boring. We don't want it to all be the same. That's mm-hmm. that's not it's not our our world. First of all, and second of all, everyone would get real tired of it. And we want to bring new fans in, and that's what Mandalorian has done. It brought in a whole crop of new fans because guess what? If we don't have younger fans and we don't have new fans, Star Wars will not be made. It's just mm-hmm. business, and I think people got to get mm-hmm. over it. Right? They just got to get over like this. Oh, this is better than that. No, if if everything was like Andor, I I don't know if we would be able to continue. Because guess what? We're gonna get old, friends. We're gonna get old, and we're not gonna we're not gonna be the one driving ticket sales. 
that's yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's really important to talk about the the perspective of of youth in Star Wars, and it, there, there's the perspective of bringing kids into it. You have to have things that are that are uh, welcoming to bringing kids in, and then you need things like like Andor that are just here's a different perspective, here is a different vibe, mm-hmm. and something as different as Andor makes me want more thing. Excuse me, <clears throat> more things that are different, not more of exactly the same tone as Andor. Yeah, like Acolyte. That's going to be totally different, I imagine, right? I mean, in Star Wars Rebels, even though it's an animated show, quote-unquote, we shouldn't slight that. There is some fantastic storytelling in that that anybody can enjoy. Um, oh, man. It reminds me of, like, the, the 1970s, quite frankly, of when Star Wars came out, right? And how people were just yeah. like, oh, this, you know, it's a fun, fun popcorn movie, but... Anyways, oh my goodness! Now I'm getting angry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, and I, I don't mean to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Go ahead, Ken. But then we should probably move on to make yeah, sure yeah, we yeah. get to, to the time for Jennifer's thoughts on on other elements. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my, my, there's still going to be someone kind of coming after us hard in the comments. There's still going to be someone going YouTube and 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 I'm after eight years, nine years, actually ten years. Is I've been talking Star Wars on podcasts. I think I'm done taking those pats on the head. Uh, mm, and, yeah. and, and, and that's kind of where I feel on it, but it, it, it also is, I think Andor was perfectly timed to just, to speak to a lot of those fans, uh, you know, the older generation, again, don't forget the first time our generation had a chance, um, to build star Wars. They tried to destroy it in 99. Mm-hmm. It, it's to speak to those and say, Hey, look there, here's the things that's always, been, always been there. We're, we're giving it to you in a very direct fashion and, and there, therefore let's all move forward together. Cause it's a damn fine show. It is. It is. So uh, now that we have, I think, uh, vented some of our frustration, not about the show, uh, in my opinion, but about very specific discourse about the show, uh, let's do some celebrating by talking more about our reaction to season one. So uh, I want to start here as we dive into some of the big ideas that are that are happening in Andor. Uh, For myself, uh, we talked a lot, Jennifer, on our Andor report about this really big idea in the show being how the personal interacts with ideology or the cause. You know, we see that Cassian cares deeply about the people in his life, but really struggles to translate that compassion to investing in the larger cause. Uh, Many characters have cut off their humanity and knowingly sacrificed relationships for the sake of the cause. Uh, Luthen and Sinta speak about it explicitly. We see that's Clea and Saw's vibe. Um, Still, other characters struggle to keep their personal relationships intact while fighting the big fight. That's what's going on with Mothma and Vel, right? Uh, For others, we get to see that it is community and connection in the people in their lives that causes them to rebel at all. That's what's going on with Kino and Melshi and Marva and Bix and all of Ferrix, right? And and all of it, I think, kind of ties into this big question that we talked about at the top of the podcast of, can you keep your soul while fighting for the cause? So, Jennifer, I'm really interested on, on your thoughts on that big idea. Why is that important to Star Wars to tell the story of how the, the personal interacts with the overall cause? I think it's something that I had not really thought about until this series is the toll that this rebellion would take on the mental health of the rebels. The rebels have always, I've always imagined them. I mean, we saw that in Rogue One, obviously, but I've always seen, seen them as like invincible right? Mm. They're the heroes. They're the good people. They just are going to power through and get through it. And that's just not reality. And it, it made that their stories that much more relatable. And it was individual to the characters, which also made it very interesting because obviously Luthen is going to be very different than uh, Vel, 
or mm-hmm. a mothma and or a saw. And I just loved that is that each person uh, had their own way of kind of dealing with their the, the toll that it was taking on their psyche. Um, and it just was it was kind of cathartic as opposed to like mm-hmm. like a wishful fantasy, which I love it felt kind of like a release to be able to see these various people struggling and still being able to rise up and fight in different ways. As you talked about, you know, is that we got to see different examples of that. And that was really exciting to see. Yeah. I I love that take. And I think that is such a great example of, Hey, that's everywhere in star Wars. You can look at early episodes of rebels. You can Mm -hmm. look at Han in the first film. What's he willing to risk or sacrifice to, to, to make the bigger cause? Is it, you know, it's the personal, his connection to Luke and Leia that makes him make that better choice. It's everywhere in Star Wars. But this is 12 episodes of digging deep into the souls of these people to really make us feel that big theme. Uh, Ken, what is your overall take on yeah. that big idea? Overall take, I go to that last question you put there. Why is it important, the story of Star Wars? And as always, I'm always in awe of your theme uh, discussions, Joseph. I'm always in awe of how you can pull stuff out. But once it's pulled out, it's so present, right? I think that's 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 the genius of all of this, as well as the genius of your, the way to the way you discuss this. It's always once you see it, it's always there, and then it goes mm-hmm. in other parts of Star Wars. And and why is it important the story story of Star Wars? Anakin fell for good reasons. Dooku fell for good reasons. Maul fell for understandable reasons when you learn his whole story. Ben Solo fell for good reasons. The list goes on and on and on. But a lot of those are black cape, red blade, holding uh, villains. And all those big turns of evil uh, uh, of Star Wars do come in the crunch of these two ideas. When the ideology conflicts with personal, when you're fighting for what you think is right, but you lose yourself in it, you sacrifice yourself in a way, lose who you are, and you go to the dark side. To see that analyzed, on all sides, but the focus being those rebel heroes and how anger is a righteous starting point and, and how that comes, it's going to come from your personal, it's going to come from your connections. Uh, I know I personally think maybe you can't stay there, but maybe I'm allowed to move on from it. Others aren't. Maybe that's my mm-hmm. privilege. And, and maybe it's more about how you process it because I don't think Cassian Andor ever stops being angry. No. I don't think he is ever going to be okay with what happened on Canary or what he experienced in Arkina 5. But he moves forward with it and finds a way to move forward with it by, I think, the personal drives him forward and meets with that ideology. And, and, and that's the best way to fight it and the best way to fight for the people he loves. And the show analyzes that by not going, hey, that tragic tale of Anakin, which is powerful. It goes, hey, Mon Mothma, this, this, she's not just losing her title. She's got to question uh, how much she wants to lose her soul for this fight. Because we've seen Saw... Uh, who's gone. We've seen Luthen, who's on the cusp. I still think Luthen's a spectacular character that's still a signpost, still a warning for how to mm. potentially lose yourself if you've gone too far. I think that's there. It's not all inspiration for me, personally. That's my take on it there. Um, and I think that's why it's all of this is important to the Star Wars story. To see those rebel action figures we're all going to collect <laughs> have to wrestle with what is the personal, what's the ideology, what they're going to lose, what's their soul going to do. Yeah. No, I, I really agree with that. And I think I was really moved by seeing a, a season of Star Wars storytelling that really dives into uh, the, the connection between the personal and the ideological. Because I think, especially in our in our real world, and I don't think Andor is, is totally one-to-one in the real world. There are, there are it, it's mm-hmm. combined to, to right now. There, there are some things that you can go, yep, that horror that is being shown on Andor is happening right now, one-to-one. Um, but I think it is talking much larger about the whole history of freedom versus tyranny and, mm-hmm. and the people versus authoritarian power and all that. But 
in our modern world right now, it, it can be very easy to just create I- ideologies as teams, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, it's important to think that and be aware that ideologies come from somewhere, right? They almost always, our, our allegiance to them almost always grows from the personal, either a wound uh, from someone close to us or a strength that we got from someone close to us. And I think it's just so important for us, if we're ever going to find any sort of a common ground and, and find ways to move forward, remembering that the reason for belief is often not objective, it's personal. Something has happened in our lives that make us believe a certain way. And one of the characters in Andor that I was most moved by is Nemec because Mm. Nemec is a character that says, yes, I have these personal wounds and strengths that have led me to this, but then I've actually analyzed the ideology. I have analyzed the, the cause. I'm writing it all down. I'm recording it as a podcast that Cassie and Andor can listen to. He's a, a character who takes the time to understand his personal motivation, but also understand the ideology itself. He's not Team Rebel because he that's the button he hit at the beginning of the video game. Mm-hmm. He believes in the ideology. He's analyzed it. And I think that in reality, in my opinion, not enough of us do that. Mm-hmm. Take the time and go, what happened in me? What is personal that I need to take ownership for that has led to my beliefs? Now that I am a, a part of these beliefs, let me turn all of these beliefs around and around and make sure I agree with them. Mm-hmm. I think you need to do both to, to be the best of us, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think spending time with that idea is important to the real world. And then, yeah, the, the, this uh, Star Wars theme of don't become the thing you're fighting against. Uh, Tales of the Jedi just uh, had this great run with Dooku where it showed us Dooku actually understanding the real problems that were happening in the galaxy and then making a horrible, horrible choice to allegedly fix them. And I think Luthen is, in my opinion, uh, dancing on that line. He's trying to be okay with it. I'm like, yeah, I can sell my soul this much. It'll be okay, right? <laughs> but will it is a question that's still hanging over uh, all of Andor. Mm. Um, so, uh, Jennifer, what are other sort of big picture ideas that jumped out or spoke to you in the show? One of the things that I was struck by is how they presented the idea of communication and how powerful it was for the everyday people who were being oppressed to be able to share this information of what is going on. It's what Melshi says. I forget what, I think episode 11, where he's like, we have to let people know what is going on because that is going to motivate people to get out of their slumber, you know, get out of their complacency and do something about it. They don't need fancy technology, right? They don't need to have all the latest tech and whatever. They just need people coming together and sharing this information. And I think that that was something so powerful um, Mm. to witness and to see just how that simple action causes so much, um, so many problems for the Imperials. And um, I think that was the biggest theme that I can think of. Oh, and of course, like you were just talking about the, the, that sometimes, you know, good people have to do bad things. That Mm. was something that was also fascinating. Yeah. I love what you're saying. I think that idea of, you know, communication being the empire's greatest fear is just, all over it down to that like great image of you know them trying to cover up the imperial trying to cover up marva you know yeah you know these words can't be heard the Mm -hmm. fact that they kill all of those people on that prison because they are afraid of Mm -hmm. people finding out you know yes 
Mm-hmm. Extremely important stuff. Uh, Ken, what were the other big picture uh, ideas that spoke to you the most? To tag on that point quickly, yeah, communication being so important, uh, isolation destroying hope. I think of this line, first order wins by making us think we're alone. We're not alone. Mm-hmm. Good people will fight if we lead them. Uh, I think that runs through and and that's what's going on here on the on the flip side. So uh, the flip side to me was this idea of, of power is the carrot that keeps pulling you forward. Hmm. And another famous line, infamous at times, I think famous, you know, so this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. Everything erodes slowly and is often caused by ourselves. Uh, thinking of Nemec uh, saying how quickly we accept things and accept, accept things that are, are moved. Um and, and, and you, you just have, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily those in power doing it. You, you just have to keep the machines going, uh, you know, they, or they just have to keep the machines going. I should say we do the rest uh, and power and control are, are sold as lies uh, that are the safety and duty. Now mm. I, I will say this to, to pull apart for a little bit uh, from the fantasy and connect to the real world, check the empathy factor uh, because it's been fascinating to see this show misinterpreted by people with certain beliefs and by the way that's what art does i love that <laughs> art will find you where you want it to find it i guess um it, it, are, are are the are, are what is are your actions leading towards empathy for others that aren't you uh, empathy for others um who are othered uh, empathy for others below you i think that's the big checkpoint uh versus the empire saying hey uh, you know do this and, and you know and you might believe that, that hey they're just they're just doing some rules to help us just just check that i'm trying to dance around real world issues <laughs> that was key to see it happen to see it happen with like nemic speech is so important i love that uh and because of that uh the importance of individuality we see the destruction of cultures uh the empire looking at uh, the donnies in a certain way we we see it, uh, even ferrix i think is a great example so it's a, p- a powerful thing to start on this uh, this one city so to speak this one planet uh final ones for me here um uh, you can't run uh you're choosing a side action versus inaction uh, Cassian, my, uh, it was my, it was, it was unintentional, tragic comedy of Cassian going, I'm out of here. I'm grabbing some sandals and I'm going to the beach and it found them there. You can't run. You've chosen a side and there are many ways to be in the fight. And this show uh, showed a lot of them. Yeah, no, warm and easy might be one of my favorite quotes of his. We'll go somewhere warm and easy, you know, yeah. and you, you cut to Mothma and her <laughs> trapped in her ivory tower. Like, warm and easy ain't around these days, Cassian. You got to yeah. accept it, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk briefly just about the structure in, in, in pacing the show because it was different than other Star Wars. You know, there's so many intimate personal scenes. In general, fewer action scenes, uh, longer story arcs before the sort of satisfaction of, of narrative conclusion. Jennifer, how did that land for you? Were you affected at all by the, the structure and the pacing of the show? Oh, I loved seeing more of these quote unquote like dinner table conversations because so much happened within them and there was so much to 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 pick apart and just, you know, enjoy. Like the Cyril having to listen to his mother berate him while he's trying to eat his cereal. Like so <laughs> much happens that we learn so much about their relationship and his character. Uh the scenes between Bix and Cassie, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to figure out what what really went down. Like, how did he hurt her in the past? There's so much going on. Um, and I just I loved it. It's just having quieter moments because then it makes the action pay off, right? If mm-hmm. it's all just action, it's just it's just eye candy. But it's so much more gratifying when we get these smaller moments woven in to learn more about the characters and, of course, the plot. Yeah, no, I, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. I think all of those little intimate moments is what people are really responding to or making you feel uh, what the characters are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think for me, I really, I really enjoyed all of the intimate personal uh, dinner scenes. Uh, I enjoyed mm. seeing Tim Carlo's socks even. I'm <laughs> just fine with fewer action scenes. I think the one thing for me I do wrestle with, and it's, it's not really a criticism so much as a, a personal preference, because a lot of the episodes uh, or the arcs were, you know, three parts. A, a couple of the episodes for me kind of ended a little bit abruptly, and there are a couple episodes where key characters are being affected. They're observing what's happening. They're being swept along. But in the individual episode, they don't really make a, a concrete choice. And I'm always electrified when a character makes a choice, right? Um, so I think I wrestled a little bit with, like, I, I so enjoyed the first three episodes, the first arc, when I was able to watch them all in a row. And there is a part of me that I think I would have been even more moved uh, by some of the episodes if the kind of middle episode wasn't floating by itself and that's just a, a personal taste but that was the only thing that i i bumped up against ken how did you feel about the overall structure first of all jen to your point i i would love a short story on cassian and bix's early dating relationship <laughs> yes. i think it was hot it was passionate and that that boy was not ready for a woman and i just think it was just a lot going on there um so i i'm fascinated by that uh, great characters yeah i think it was the big surprise for me the pacing and i and i loved it uh, even though there were times I wanted to eh, pick up, um, but I'm okay with slowing down. And I didn't love the ending beats too as well. And I've expressed that before. And to clarify, I, I think all the endings work, especially on rewatch, especially on binge model stuff. And I've heard some explanations from the, some of the creators of the choices. I don't need everything to be a 22-minute sitcom with a hug at the end. I don't. I think sometimes the counter, when you hear me talking about it, there's a little bit of a counter of like, I only need traditional television. But I just think, again, this is very personal. I think some of the endings were a little too proud of themselves, which is a very big personal rub for me. Uh, if you're the type that's like, well, I have my script's a five act structure. Great. I go if it works, it works. If if you just do it a five act structure because you you want to go against the Sid Field book, uh, you might be missing the point of art. I don't know. Um, that said, that's a personal <laughs> thing for me. But the arcs really worked. The final episodes of each arc were so tense and all the emotions earned that at the end of the day, I do love what happened there. And I really do like that we slowed down to get a feel for the future rebellion action figure stars, like I called them earlier. Um, Cause I can imagine this happening everywhere else in the galaxy. I don't need to go to other planets. We've seen Lothal. We've seen Ferrix. We know there's fires everywhere. The galaxy is so huge. You could go tell more of these stories, but I don't even think we need to, because this, this is slowing down. And I do think, and this is the thing, I do think Star Wars is often painted in broad strokes. And sometimes we have to step up close to, to the painting to see the detail, but Andor just slowed down and said, here, mm -hmm. here, here it is. And that's why I'm, just tremendously thankful for the style and the presentation and the choices they all made as artists. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, my, my wrestling with it is more about the kind of ongoing uh, debate that's happening across our screens about what should the structure of a television show be episode by episode, season by season? What is a television show is kind of being upended mm -hmm. uh, by, by the streaming uh, wars and I'm just really, some of the things that I bumped against are now gone because it was about how I was feeling week to week. And when I can sit yeah. down and watch it as an arc, it, it all it all disappears. Jennifer, I'm just going to ask you this specific question because Ken and I have talked about it a little bit and I'm really interested in your perspective. Uh, Andor is uh, very much rated mature for adults, you know, in the literal content. There is a lot of death. There's implied sex. There's visible toilets. Uh, potty mouth uh, Sergeant Linus Moss straight up dropping the naughty S word. Uh, how did you feel about this tone in Star Wars uh, overall? I, I actually really liked it because I thought it worked for this particular story. 
I think it would maybe take me out of it if we didn't have this mo- these moments. Although I I was kind of taken out of it when when I saw, I was like, oh my gosh, is there going to be a sex scene in Star Wars between Bix and uh, uh, Tim? I, I was a little bit you know surprised by that, but it <laughs> works for the story. Do I want to see this in every Star Wars thing? I don't. If the story warrants it, sure. But let's not get carried away, okay? We don't. We don't need to be like HBO, uh, you know, <laughs> showing everything. Um, because yeah, but well, who knows? Maybe we will wade into those waters someday if the story warrants it. Yeah, I think you make a great point that it, it that style matches the ideas of this show, so yeah. it's great. And, you know, for me, real quick, it's just the this version of Star Wars has existed in the novels for a long time, and it was really fun to see it on the screen. Uh, can you have any quick thoughts before we take a break? Uh, no, I loved it. I, I think Star Wars has room for this. Uh, I was, I laughed a little bit at finally Star Wars for adults. Like, Kenobi started with a mass murder of children at school. I would call that very adult. And Aftermath had a lot of sex in it. So uh, it's just confusing <laughs> me best. But this can't be the only style, but I, I enjoyed this style a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For our recommendation for Audible, we are continuing to recommend Padawan by Kirsten White, which Ken and I almost finished this week, but didn't. Uh, We will be back to review that book. If you want to download your free audiobook, you can go to audibletrial.com slash force center. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with more and or thoughts in a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, we are back to continue our big discussion of season one of Andor. We talked about some big ideas, but I really want to dive into some specific characters and moments uh, in particular, Mon Mothma. Uh, Mothma has this great complex story arc that almost all happens in her apartment, Luthen's shop, her speeder, or the Senate. So unlike many Star Wars arcs, you could easily state your story as a live theatrical play. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel about her story, the scope of it, what it adds, the legend of Mothma? Uh, there's some real important family stuff, some mother-daughter stuff. So Jennifer, we definitely want to start with you and get your Mothma thoughts. I loved learning more about her personal life, seeing her awful husband, uh, her defiant <laughs> teenager uh, daughter. That was great. Um, and also shows another side of Mon Mothma. She's much more, I found, relatable. Um, she struggles with guilt, with fear, wanting to be a good parent to Lita. Like, these are all things that I did not know that she uh, was going to be going through. Uh, in terms of scope, I will say that I wanted to see her getting out and doing more things, being a little bit more active as opposed to just reactive. Mm -hmm. um, so like I would have loved to have seen her go into that place that Perrin was in, right? Or someone else's dinner party, not just a dinner party at her place where she's put in even more risk because she's outside her element. I thought that mm -hmm. that could have been really great. Um, maybe even seeing her like walking the halls of the Senate, seeing her interactions with other senators, small moments like that, which we got from the Imperials, but not with her. So I'm hoping we'll see that a little bit more developed in season two. But overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I feel like the the limited locations that we see her in ultimately make her feel more trapped. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's something that um, a lot of people responded to. Jennifer, I think you talked about in a TikTok, some of the, the great contrasts of, of showing that um, Mothma has a lot more physical comfort than Cassian and the people of Ferrix and the people in the prison. Mm-hmm. But she's just as imprisoned, kind of trapped in, in an almost literal uh, ivory tower. And yeah. I, I feel like the limited locations kind of help tell that story. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to ask you specifically, Jennifer, about your take on Mothma's journey with her daughter, Lita, and making this really difficult dis decision about presenting Lita to uh, Davos Galden, Davos Scumbags, if we've been calling him, uh, <laughs> son, as a part of this Shandrillan tradition. How did you feel about the, the story of that, the morality of that? How did it affect you? What are your thoughts? I thought that was a great, a great twist and an even bigger twist when Lita is defiant and rebels against her mother by embracing these Chandrillan <laughs> traditions, which will also hopefully solve her problem. Uh, but I, I joked in a video, I was like, I'm so glad I am not Mon Mothma having to deal with that decision because 
you know, she is, she, we've seen the price that she has paid by marrying Perrin at such a young mm-hmm. age and how awful he is and how trapped she feels. Uh, the walls have closed in on her and she wants to give her, she really loves Lita. And that's the thing as, 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 um, you know, angsty as Lita is like Mon Mothma loves her dearly and doesn't want her to suffer. Talk about an ultimate sacrifice. And so, yes, we see all these other characters in Andor sacrificing, being more on the front lines. But this is this is a terrible sacrifice to sacrifice their daughter's freedom, basically. Oh, my goodness. So what a what a uh, story to tell. Yeah. How do you feel about so like we talked a lot about when when Mothma first meets uh, with Davos scumbag and just tells him to get out. No way. Right. And it's contrasted in particular with Luthen's. I'll do anything. I, I've sold my soul and I'm fine with it because that's what I think it takes. It, there's this big contrast with Mothma saying, like, I'm not going to do that. But then we have this new episode uh, that introduces the idea that Lita is into these traditions. And that this might be what Lita, as a as a teen, is claiming she wants. As a parent, how do you deal with that moral complexity where Mothma is pretty certain this is a decision that might lead to unhappiness, but my daughter, with her agency, is telling me it's what she wants? How do you wrestle with that? Oh, my goodness. Again, I cannot imagine having to, what do you do? Sometimes children have to learn these lessons on their own they have to make these mistakes and you can do everything you can to try and protect them but ultimately they are going to do what they want to do right and so Mm -hmm. i think that she is upset we see her very her body language is so stiff when she's walking to this introduction with davo scumbag's kid right (laughs) she is not happy even though it will solve her problem but this is the price that she is going to pay and it will forever haunt her and i think that we will see the ramifications of that in in season two i imagine because yeah you know that that the, the, there is going to be a darkness in her heart just like luthan of having to sacrifice her child i mean what if she's what is she making rebel deals at the marriage of uh lita and i believe steakin steakin scald <laughs> oh painful uh ken what are your overall mothma thoughts uh, quickly, because uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more in the podcast to come here. I, if you had just told me exactly how you described it, Joseph, and before the season, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I want an episode of Veep, but a little more serious. Like, I want her on and about. I want a Senate chamber. Jen, uh, you made a lot of good points of things I want to see season two. But the, the choice to thematically trap her makes even the, the speech in Rebels that much more powerful to me. It makes her mm. choices, her, her sacrifices much more powerful. Again, the purpose of slowing down and going to the intimate moments, which is a big victory for the show. So I'm a big Mothma fan, and Genevieve O'Reilly's acting was top-notch, perhaps the best in the show. We don't need to make it a competition, though. <laughs> I just don't want her to get overlooked. Uh, she did so much uh, with this role, and uh, it, I do want to see this as a stage play. Yeah, no, I just, I loved Mothma's role and just the the feeling so trapped but still so powerful it is amazing uh, a mix of dynamics going on with Mothman. I'm really excited to see where it goes where it seems like right now she's funneling money to Luthen and where where does uh, this sort of transition between Luthman and Mothma as the primary you know controllers of the network of the rebellion uh, how does that all shake out? I'm really excited to see where that goes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Imperials. Ken, you said some some great stuff. Uh, I think that, you know, for some of the Imperials, we see the personal realities that lead them to the ideology. Uh, the uh, abusive uh, breakfast cereal mm-hmm. enters 
uh, <laughs> with his mother, I think that abuse that he's you know getting from his mother really feeds his authoritarian leanings. And then other Imperial's motivations, uh, Dedra Miro, they're a mystery. We, we don't know why she is so all in on the cause. Uh, Jennifer, overall, what do you think the show said about those who carry out tyranny? I think that it was a, a great choice to present them in a way that has not necessarily been presented. Part Partagast is probably the closest to like what we've seen with Imperials, right? And like a Tarkin, mm-hmm. but even Partagast had a little bit more humanity than uh, say a Tarkin. But what I found fascinating was that both Cyril and Dedra are underdogs and they see themselves as such, which is why they mm-hmm. feel motivated to do something great for the empire right they want to be successful Mm. they want to have any sort of power because neither one of them has that in their day-to-day lives obviously Cyril with his mom and Dedra just being a woman uh, in this you know man's world quote unquote so I thought that Mm. that was a really great choice it gave us uh the imperial point of view which we have not really seen as much before um and it was it was fun yeah Oh, I really agree with that. I think frame them both as as underdogs. I think when I say we don't know Dedra Miro's motivation, I think we don't know like intimate personally. We don't know what her mm-hmm. family life was right. Like, but but you're so right to point out that we do spend a lot of time seeing her uh, being sort of uh, shut down and and treated as an other when she first comes to the the ISB. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we definitely see that. I think what I really liked about the presentation of the Imperials is we did see their perspective, but there was no like. And so they have some good points too, (laughs) right? It was, we can understand the pain that they're going through as people. And here's how that pain leads to them to making choices that the show is, is showing are clearly awful, right? Whatever Dedra went through does not make it okay to lie, to murder, to torture. Right. Uh, So I think uh, the Imperials are really shown as being trapped in the tyranny just as much as as the freedom fighters, right? They're not living great lives. We don't see any Imperials who are just like, this is great. I have everything the way I want it. We see Imperials, uh, life is being inherently lonely and isolating, right? Mm-hmm. They have a dogma that is based on get more power so others fear you. It is a dog-eat-dog world. It is a, this person has more power. This has, person has less power. It's all about competition and station. And we see that in, in what's happening to Cyril and all of his choices. We see that in, in the ISB that there, there's no friends. It's just a different back to be stabbed today based on who is rising. It's inherently lonely. Uh, we we see the Jehold Bihaz, the commandant on on Aldani and his horrible relationship to his uh, family, you know? Mm. Um, I think in contrast, the the Imperial that we meet who turns, Lieutenant Gorn, mm. we learn that he made that turn because he made a personal connection uh, with the Donnie woman, and it breaks him from his going along with mm-hmm. tyranny. So I really liked how the, uh, the Imperials were shown to be making bad choices for the people that they were victimizing, but also for themselves. It's not a happy way to live. Uh, Ken, what were your thoughts? I think of a, a stormtrooper uh, later on called FN2187 who is isolated his entire life and then slowly builds connections until they expand on a, on a galactic level, right? Mm. I, I think that's the journey there. And I, Jen, you mentioned that phrase, the Empire's point of view. It's been used for a long time. I've heard it for years. And I, I actually really understand what that means. Uh, sometimes I poke fun at it, but I really understand. I just think maybe the question asked by... Uh, some folks and in, in, in shows I used to be on, I, I think it doesn't express a full understanding of what that ask is. Your mm. point, Joseph, about 
it doesn't stop there. For, so the big one for me, th this kind of started, uh, this is another podcast, so we'll put a pin in this, but Claudia Gray wrote some great stuff, and one of it was, hey, there were stormtroopers on the Death Star that didn't even know what happened in Alderaan. Um, th that's not the end of the story, right? What happens when those stormtroopers find out? Bodhi Rook is a working man. He has a job driving trucks for the Empire. Um, but we, we see what happens when he tries to make it right. Cause that's how Galen gets to him. Um, we just don't stay on him going, ah, it's just a job. Uh, this show, uh, has kind of almost stayed with those folks and analyzed why they say that and why they think that. And I think that was the quote empire's point of view for this show. And it ain't a good one. The oppression is in the paperwork and the play for power begins small and it points along the way. You might have the option to get out of it. And a lot of these characters don't. And, and, and you're so right about the underdog thing. That was what was fascinating about Miro uh, and, um, and Cyril. That, that, that old cliche of the villain is the hero in their story. Yep, that's great. That's, again, right? That's a good thing for your screenplay. But to actually stop and have, you know, your, your feeling for Cyril over the breakfast. And he's a nut job who's just, he's, he's problematic on every level because he's supposed to be for the story. Uh, it was just an interesting thing. And I, and I really uh, liked what they did with that. Yeah, I just love that perspective that obviously we all know what it's like to to feel like an underdog, right? And mm -hmm. does that become, I have been made to feel less than, so I want to get power so I can make other people feel less than. <laughs> or is it, yeah. I want to get power so none of us have to feel less than. And I feel like on, on a big picture, the show demonstrates in such great detail. Again, it's everywhere in Star Wars, but this show makes you feel it that tyranny requires you to believe others are less than, right? All the discussion of the the stinking, ignorant, backwards Donnie. Um, mm. Describing the daughters of Ferrix, this proud culture, as a local annoyance. Right. Uh, the cattle-like prisoners on Narkina 5, which is real stuff about about prisons, right? The second you you one is a guard and one person is a prison, humanity erodes away. It's all about less than. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's so powerful. And such a great cliffhanger then for Cyril and Dedra's absolutely weird relationship of will they truly c connect or, or will they use and fear one another while lying that they have a, a connection uh mm -hmm. jennifer how do you feel about cyril and dedra's uh very bizarre frightening meet cute oh i ship it i just <laughs> i was hoping that they were gonna make out and then they didn't and i i was like okay that 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 would be an hbo show <laughs> that would be an hbo show moment but uh there's just so much chemistry and they're just so terrible and they're just kind of perfect for each other and i want to see them just like come together and think that they're going to be this this power duo and just die, you know fall apart and tear yeah. each other apart i love it uh. Uh. That's great. Ferrix loving happened yeah. so fast. One final point, Joseph, talking about the Empire point of view. We talked about grown up nerds in the 80s who were bullied, who were, who were at times beaten, who, who, who felt less than. Uh, there's a, a problem of, 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 of bully uh, nerds who grow up to be, who get the power in their own communities and they become gatekeepers to others mm -hmm. they don't want there to, to try to fight back into the power. So it starts in a very understandable point of view. But to stick with it, to stick with that point of view uh, is, I think, where the danger is. And I think that's a lot of what's going on in the Empire here. Mm -hmm. oh, very well said. Um, let's talk about the fun topic of death. Uh, <laughs> we meet a lot of characters who don't make it, right? Tim Carlo and his socks. Nemec, Arvel Skeen, uh, Terraman, Lieutenant Gorn, Kino Loy, Jembek, Olaf, Tega, Salmon Pack, Marva, all of the children on Canari, allegedly, uh, Zan, Nurchi, etc. Uh, the Squigglies uh, on Narkina 5, all dying. Uh, Jennifer, how did you feel about the amount of death, and were there any deaths that affected you more than the others? 
I didn't want anyone to die. And Nemec's death was upsetting because of Alex Lo- actor Alex Lothar's performance was so real when he's like, I can't feel my legs. I started crying. It just, it felt really, really real. Um, but Marva's death, I think, affected me the most because of how it affected B2 emo. It was yeah. that scene. I can't even talk about it. It just gets me so upset. Like when he's in the house, this empty house that she had been in and he doesn't want to leave. It is mm. just so childlike. I mean, mm. oh my gosh, what they did with that droid is amazing. Uh, and of course, seeing Cassian's reaction to the news of her death was also just gut-wrenching. Oof, I don't like anybody to die in my shows. Unless it's being thrones. <laughs> then, it's, then it's more <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> but did you emotionally it's very difficult but do you think that's one of the things that's that's the power of it that it is difficult that you do feel it that they aren't just background characters that that it feels real is that a part of the power of the show to you yeah they had they had to have some deaths because otherwise it just wouldn't feel real right it's it serves the story it serves the purpose um and and it's it's necessary to tell the proper story of the burgeoning rebellion if nobody died well that, (laughs) that would be kind of silly yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really agree with you. And I think there was so much death that I was really going into the final episode thinking it was going to be a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited to find out that we're going to continue to to tell the story of Luthen and uh, the relationship of, uh, of Dedra and Cyril, their upsetting romance. Um, but I feel like the show earned that hope of not mm-hmm. <laughs> slaughtering everyone on on uh, Ferex uh, because it had had dealt so realistically for me I think it, it's about the characters that I like but it's also about the nature of their death I was really affected by Nemec because I really liked the character but also because his death was so chaotic and brutal it wasn't mm-hmm. a, a blaster bolt from a stormtrooper right it right. was it, I love this about the show of any time that action happened uh there were just other things went off because violence is chaos and you can't always control it so the way he died affected me same thing with Marva. Yeah, B2 Emo, incredibly painful. But Marva kind of dying off screen, basically, of health issues that she was dragging her feet about seeing a doctor about. Mm. So quiet and so real and so relatable that I, I found it really devastating. I was like, I, I, I try not to give my wife content warnings because I don't want to spoil things for her. But I was just like, I want to give my wife a content warning before we watch this episode. Right. Ken, how about you? How did how were you affected by the the death toll? Yeah, I think you both are saying things uh, wonderful that I just would echo on how it was presented, the real uh, nature of it, which is why it was so devastating. B two emo, come on, that broke my heart. Marva's death was both um, very impactful and 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 uh, you know hard to reconcile because you you you're, you you are used to that. Give me a, a final stand. Maybe she's going to throw a brick. Well, in a way, thanks to Brasso, she did so that that death uh, uh there's so many by the way Colonel Lloyd come on he's not dead we know that he's he's on Canto Bide Brian Ward just put a great photo out of him <laughs> it's over there in Canto Bide <laughs> having fun he's gonna show up um to to Olaf and and Lieutenant Gorn you mentioned Lieutenant Gorn uh Sewell Remy is the actor who uh, just brought a quiet dignity to this con- conviction this full conviction mm-hmm. uh and a big theme of of he left not because I learned Palpatine's a Sith or the, he left because he fell in love with someone who wasn't supposed to. And, and, and that connection grew into rebellion and he, he died in the background almost. And mm-hmm. that's sometimes how it happens. So it, was, it affected me in that way. Uh, Terramins as well. And Olaf just in your face, uh, you know, you're watching it happen 40 days from freedom, which was a lie to begin with anyways. Um, and what it did. So I'll take those ones. Yeah, there's a lot uh, to choose from. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, 
So as we wrap up here, uh, pull the curtain aside and say we were on a, a time limit for this recording. Uh, Jennifer, I'm just going to ask you about any other favorite scenes, moments, speeches that we haven't talked about, uh, partially for time and partially because Ken and I are going to do a ranked episode. Oh, <laughs> and we'd cool. just be repeating ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what were some favorite scenes, moments, speeches? Marva's speech was just, oh, fantastic. You know, seeing an older woman uh, who's in act- acting, because, you know, we don't get a lot of them. They tend to quietly not be cast uh, after 40. <laughs> so seeing seeing her speech was just fantastic. Um, obviously, the content of the speech was incredibly moving, but it was really powerful seeing this older woman who was, you know, igniting the spark of the rebellion. It was exciting and thrilling to watch. Um, and like I just mentioned earlier, like it really confronted and addressed, uh, you know, fascism head on. Um, did not pull any punches, and I thought it was wonderful. Andy Circus as Keanu Loy was a wonderful mm. surprise as well. Uh, I never imagined that we would see Andy Circus back in Star Wars, but there he was, <laughs> um, and that was great. And I loved seeing his character wrestle with whether or not he should risk it all and break out of the Imperial prison. He can't swim. Oh, that line really got me. Oh my gosh, there's so many emotional moments in this show. It really is. And did you have any Snoke hang up? Were you bothered at all by like, hey, that's Snoke, but now he lives in a prison? Nah, not no. It was yeah. only a couple moments where I heard it, you know. But it, but he just gave such a great performance that I immediately forgot it. Yeah, well, now I want to hear Snoke say on program. That would be really <laughs> terrifying. Uh, Jennifer, are there any other characters that we haven't talked about or touched on that you wanted to highlight that that affected you? I'll just say this, that when they talked about this show being like Dickensian, right, they were going to feature all these characters. I thought, how are they mm. going to do this? How are they going to make it so that each character is meaningful? And amazingly, they did. I loved all the characters, every single one of them. Um, and I'm so happy we're going to see Brasso and Bix uh, back for season two, I hope at least. Um, they're just every single one. I, I can't I can't choose a favorite. They're like my children <laughs> now. I've become invested in each of their storylines. Yeah, yeah, and so exciting that we get to follow them, which brings us to the final question. Uh, Jennifer, what are your hopes and dreams for season two? Uh, As I mentioned, seeing Mon Mothma more in action, more in physical danger, I think could be fun to see. Uh, Looking forward to seeing Cassian become a a leader, and I'd love to see him have some humorous moments. Because when he had those moments in this in this series, like these charming moments, it's nice because he's mm-hmm. so great at playing the drama. But then he's also great at, at at comedy as well. And these these charming moments, I just would love to see a little bit more of that because sometimes it does get so heavy and so emotional. And of course, I'd like to see Bix and Brasso also become leaders and develop their storylines more. Mm, such a great point about Cassian because Diego Luna is, of course, uh, charming and funny, but I love how they built that into Cassian's character, that he loves being with people mm-hmm. and he's a charmer. And like almost all the fairies are like, we love you, but you have also charmed all of us into, <laughs> into just fury with you, Cassian. So like the, the picture that Cassian's happiest day is just just at a bar BS and laughing with other yeah. people is uh, that's so great. Uh, Ken, do you have a, a hope or dream for season two as we wrap up? Yeah, that the personal pushes more toward the bigger idea fight. Uh, lots of little moments still to have and explore, by the way. But uh, when Jan Dodonna shows up, and I'm hoping he does, I don't want him to say, can I give a quiet speech while I'm here? I want him to go, I've got Scob and Y-Wings. Anyone want to fight? I think that's where I'm looking forward to see uh, the show get to. And, and again, getting there in a way that I'm not expecting. Yeah. The biggest thing that I'm looking forward to, many things, but uh, the meeting 
of Cassian and Mothma. We've been following these stories, and I can't wait to see them t- come together. And I'm really curious about the the relationship. I'm I'm so curious if it's a parent child relationship because mm. Mothma's in a way kind of losing a child in this season, and Cassian in a way is kind of losing a parent. And is that a part of their relationship? Is it a found family story between Cassian and and Mothma? I'm very curious about. Great. All right. Uh, we could talk about Andor season one forever, and we probably will, but that is going to be it for this episode. Uh, Ken, do you want to take us home? Yes, we could, because we loved it with all of our hearts. And I know some of you might forget that when you tweet us on Twitter at Four Center Pod or on Hive at Four Center or on Instagram or YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you'd like, because we're building some new content out over there and still doing the live Q&As. We had one last week. It was a lot of fun uh podcast available on acast iHeartRadio, apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and more merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash four center you can support us directly at patreon.com slash four center get into our discord where you know what even then it got tense that's how t- the, the passion for andor we're deep but everyone's doing great over there we're all hanging out celebrating star wars you can follow me at ken knapsack or go to my website kenapsack.com for more information on things I do. Cyber Monday is the day that we were recording this episode on. We released it, but I'm still selling on Tuesday, but I'm still selling books, personalized copies of Why We Love Star Wars on my website, kenapsock.com. Uh, Jennifer, what about you? You can find me on Instagram, Hive Social, Twitter, and Facebook at Jennifer Landa, YouTube at Jennifer Landa, where I am posting weekly videos again. I have some Andor reaction videos. Uh, I have an alien breakdown video coming soon. Thank you if you've already joined me and you've uh, said hello. I'm a Four Center listener. That's been very fun uh, mm. to see you over there. And of course, TikTok at Jennifer Landa 1138, where I post the shorter versions of what I put on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way of things. You can find me on all the social media is at Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm going to highlight this week in particular Hive Social as well. I've been really enjoying it. So if you're trying it out, uh, just search for Joseph Scrimshaw and uh, please come find me to continue a fun conversation there. Uh, Also on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff. And you can go to YouTube and search for Joseph Scrimshaw to see some of the comedy and short films I'm working on as well. Ken? That is it, my friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching uh, on the YouTube side. And again, for all of you, we uh, invite wonderful good faith conversations around the show, but I think you get our intentions and we absolutely love the show. Can't wait for season two and my rewatch of Andor begins probably after this recording session. We'll see you all here on Force Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.